Hi, I'm Jennifer Wilde, and you're listening to Sober Exposure. If it's about recovery, we're going to cover it. It's like one big therapy session, but it's free. So thanks for joining our dysfunctional family as we uncover recovery with Sober Exposure. Let's go. Hello, welcome to Sober Exposure. It's Jennifer Wild. And so the last few episodes have been like the fun episodes with the rock stars. Like, you know, we had Jimmy from Bullet Boys talking about the old 80s, Eddie Van Halen stories and everything. And then, I mean, we just had a lot of rock and roll boys and it was a lot of fun. You know, I mean, we did get serious and it was compelling, but we were talking a lot about the alcoholism and the drug addiction and the blah, 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 blah. And I got, you know, to talk about my old groupie stories and the tour buses and all the fun. And uh, I'm, I'm starting off uh, sort of protecting myself here because this is, I have a feeling going to be m- a more serious episode. We've had a few with sober exposure. She's a musician. Her name is Arizona Lindsay, and she's been through some shit. She's speaking out about it. And she's so talented. She's so young and she's so gorgeous. And I just want her to tell us all about everything that she's been through. I mean, this girl is smart. So I have a feeling that she's going to make me feel really, really stupid because first of all, yeah, Arizona, like tell us about all your degrees and everything that you have and you're a musician. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Um, So basically I got my... Uh, undergraduate degree in forensic psychology from John Jay College of Criminal Justice in Manhattan. And I am currently working on a master's in clinical mental health counseling. And I am two years through a three-year program, but I'm going to be transferring universities. So so you got the cred. Before you go into your story, did you go into the mental health area because of what you went through? I think at first I didn't really know, but I think over time I realized that I've just been surrounded by mental health for the good and the bad my whole life. And there was just already kind of a peak interest in it. My, my son, he's 16. He wants to be a psychologist. I mean, I try and explain to him that he has to show up for school for that. He wants to be a psychologist. And he's like, mom, I mean, I, I want to study the brain and people because I've been around so many fucked up people my whole life. Of course, I want to like study and see what's going on here. You know, <laughs> <It's funny. laughs> so you just ended up on a podcast with people that have some issues. We'll just put it that way. So what's yours? What's yours, Ari? Why are you here? I would say things that I've been through was not really impacting my life um, to the extent that I thought until I dealt with the onset of my trauma disorder about two and a half years ago. So that was kind of life-changing because I guess, uh, you know, when you grow up in covert trauma, it doesn't feel like trauma. It just feels like life. And so there was a point, I guess, where my brain had reached its own threshold of dealing with what that looked like. And I started suffering from a pretty severe mental illness. Tell me more about that. Now, you said what what kind of trauma? So uh, I was referring to some of the trauma that I've been through as covert trauma, which it's more subtle. You know, like when we think of trauma, we often think of a car accident or we think of uh, someone passing away suddenly and that being a traumatic experience. But covert trauma really refers to, you know, the ongoing complexity of trauma. So maybe living in a house with a parent who struggles with substance abuse and dealing with that on a daily basis. And so it's, you know, small messages that we learn in developmental years, you know, 
to internalize and that can be very harmful. And then we can see the passing on of different types of illnesses, including addiction and substance abuse disorders through covert trauma. So I get it. So it's not like one particular thing like, oh my gosh, I saw somebody get hit by a car when I was three and that traumatized me or I was sexually molested or one incident. I mean, they say I've had therapists tell me that just every single person in the world has experienced some form of trauma. Correct. You know, even when you come into this earth, when you're being born, that's that's traumatic being born. Think about it. That's trauma. That's getting deep. And I had a therapist talk about this, about how when you're born, you're actually experiencing trauma. That's crazy, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> I, like, no, you don't have to buy it. You don't have to buy it. But that's 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 what she said. But anyway, um, when I was on your Instagram, I, I saw that you seem to you develop, you know, you're talking about your trauma and you grew up was would you grow up in an alcoholic family? I grew up around uh, adults who struggled with substance abuse and other types of, uh, well, types of disorders that really kind of overarched the symptom of abusing substances rather. That obviously affected you in not so positive way with the trauma that you're talking about, trauma disorder. There's something that I learned from you that I, I've heard this before, and it's called disassociation disorder. Can you tell us more about that? I'm sure that there's a lot of people that could be struggling with it and they don't know what it is or know somebody or have have a, a child that's displaying some of the behaviors and they don't realize that this is what this is. Yeah. So I actually wasn't diagnosed with my dissociative disorder until this past year. Sometimes things like that, they take a while to diagnose of working with someone for a long period of time. But it's basically a mental illness that does typically stem through trauma. And it, it's basically, it's like a disconnection from, you know, our body, uh, mental processes, emotions, um, and sometimes even just kind of spacing out. And so, you know, the best way I'd explain it in kind of layman terms is that everybody dissociates, but like anything else in health, we have to look at frequency, intensity, and severity. And when that increases with anything, we're often looking at something that's life debilitating. And so with dissociation, normal, you know, healthy dissociation might look like daydreaming or when you're a kid and you have an imaginary friend. When we learn to do uh, certain things as survival skills uh, and then we utilize them outside of survival, like different types of self-harm, substance abuse even, dissociation is one of those things that we sometimes have to do to survive, like separating our emotions from our physical body, basically, and suppressing them in a way that we actually completely disconnect from them, even like neurologically, or we're just like not going to feel it in that moment. And so struggling with a dissociative disorder is kind of like unmanaged dissociation happening often. And then also the aspect of everything kind of flooding back. So that's kind of the CPTSD trauma disorder aspect. And then the dissociativeness is the disconnection happening a lot. Sort of like a form of numbing out, maybe your subconscious numbing yourself out because you don't want to deal. Absolutely. Yeah. And and that's kind of like, you know, I know we were talking just briefly about it, but that's really the similarity between a lot of trauma disorders and the connection and correlation between maladaptive coping behaviors, which can range again from alcoholism to abusing drugs like heroin, cocaine, you know, you name it, it can be a coping mechanism we all adapt different coping mechanisms and they're treated kind of similarly, which is 
starting with the symptoms that are recovery interfering and then moving into the actual underlying issue. Yeah, I saw um, I was looking through your Instagram and I see your morning routine, which looks great. It's it says put on music, coffee, you take your medication, dance routine, shower, skincare, review your affirmations, two reasonable goals, talking about your qualities and strengths, one to three affirmations and 10 minutes of mindfulness. Is this how this, do you practice this on a daily basis? I try to. Yeah. I think it's one of the signs that I'm not doing well is when I'm not following my morning and evening routines. Uh, that's like in, in Alcoholics Anonymous, we, we do the same, continue to take personal inventory when we were wrong, probably admitted it. That's part where we're always checking ourselves out. We sought through prayer and meditation, constantly doing an uh, inventory, a self-inventory at night when we retire. And I noticed too myself, when I'm not doing that, I am not in a good place. Right. There's so many correlations. It's so interesting. Recovery from, from trauma and recovery from alcoholism and addiction. There, there are so many similarities. And that's why when I was in treatment for alcoholism, there, there were a few that weren't alcoholics or addicts and they were just in treatment for trauma. I have two opinions on that. That's okay if you're in your 50s and you understand the difference. Not so okay if you're a teenager and you're in for trauma and they put you in with a bunch of addicts and then you learn how to get high. That I don't like. And I, I know that you had some, some situation about getting the right help. And I, I'm pretty passionate about that subject too. So I sort of want to go there, Ari. Can, can you tell me what happened to you about when you were getting your help and when you reached your bottom and you decided that you wanted to go get professional help? So I would say there was kind of two major pieces to actually moving to getting help. You know, the first is that I had reached the point where I was actually just scared of my own. I was so suicidal that I wasn't really able to see any type of emotion outside of that. Just the point in the depression aspect where there were behaviors I was engaging in where I didn't necessarily want to die, but I wouldn't have cared if it killed me. I had reached the point where I was actively suicidal, you know, planning, had dates and, and everything. And, and I finally just reached this really weird point where I was just so scared. And for a lot of reasons, the date wasn't as close as I needed it to be to essentially survive. And so I had reached out for help and it took me to looking to three different people for someone to do something about it. I had people literally cover their ears and say, you can't tell me that you're going to make me liable. <laughs> And uh, I had other people who, in their eyes, were trying to protect me, but basically it was more stigmatizing than anything. And so I had started to kind of get the help, but I was too scared to go inpatient because, like many other people, I was worried. You know, if I tell my jobs, if I tell whatever, what were the what will the neighbors think? Yeah, you know, and being that I do work in, in mental health prior to moving to my career full time as a musician you know, that was my biggest fear is uh, being seen as incompetent when at the time I was. And um, so anyway, you know, a year later, I ended up getting emergency hospitalized for uh, trying to go through with a suicide plan. They had only released me with the basically saying within 72 hours, I need to get to a treatment facility for trauma specifically. And my insurance took over six weeks to actually uh, sign a single case agreement for an out-of-network trauma <sighs> facility. I mean, I'm burning up right now. So you have somebody 
that seriously is suicidal, that wants to take their own life and, and they can't get the help that they need because they don't have the right friggin' insurance. Yeah. It's actually kind of funny because they told me that if I had a substance use disorder or started quote unquote struggling with substance abuse, that they would have plenty of facilities for me to go to that also treated for trauma, but that they thought it would be more traumatic for me. You know, it, it's like your, your providers that are actual doctors are telling you, hey, we're not going to approve for this to happen. And your insurance is basically like that aspect of like, you know, your condition just be, needing to be more severe for you to actually get admitted into what you need. When in reality, when your condition is more severe, that's usually honestly, when we're looking at something like somehow worse than where you're already at. I relate to that because when I was um, in that six week period between the emergency hospitalization of being kind of stopped in the middle of trying to go with through with a suicide plan and actually getting into a trauma facility, it was like this back and forth thing because some facilities wouldn't take me because of the severity of my condition. Like I couldn't go to a residential place. And then on the contrary, these emergency trauma places, they couldn't take me because they were like, well, if you have the time to call us and check the insurance, then obviously you're not really that suicidal. You have to here in, in Florida, there's Baker acting. There's uh, 5150 in California. I only know it's called that because that's uh, the name of a Van Halen album. You know, like they wanted me to Baker act my son in order to get him help. They said the only way that we can get your son in a facility is if you have him Baker acted, which means I have to call and say that my son is a danger to himself or someone else, which really he he wasn't. But they told me to say that he was and then they'll put him in a facility and they'll hold him for 72 hours and then he'll be able to grandfather his way into a place. I wasn't going to do that. I'm not going to traumatize my child and have him Baker acted in some loony bin for 72 hours. I want to get him in a nice facility that's going to give him the treatment that he needs. He doesn't deserve to be punished for having mental health issues. I'm not I'm not going to Baker act the kid. Yeah, it's 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 terrible. It's really really hard. It's hard to get help. I mean, it's like if you're if you're middle class, you just can't win. So Arizona, what do you recommend to people? What what do we do? How do we help? How do we help the situation? There's a few things. The first is that when we are a support for somebody else or we would like to be a better support for others, when we see someone that may be struggling or you're not sure, the best that you can do is to be a support for them by being an ear, knowing when it's time to help somebody get the help that they need. Obviously, people have to want help as well. But if anybody is in danger, acting on that and understanding, you know, when that, you know, when it's crossed that line from someone being safe or not being safe. And then as far as the individuals themselves who are struggling, especially if it's surrounding getting into treatment, I really recommend reaching out to nonprofits in your area, reaching out to different types of like, for example, one of the nonprofits that I'm affiliated with is uh, Beauty After Bruises. They help do grant applications for individuals who need further treatment and can't either afford it or can't get in. And that could be really helpful. And also, as difficult as it is, talking to the insurance or allowing your provider to really kind of fight with them, a lot of the time, they can really want to help you and not always know how. For my case specifically, it had to go all the way up the chain of command for them to get this like case agreement signed, but I wouldn't be here if it didn't. So as difficult as it was sitting on the phone with them and at times literally just 
leaving the room and allowing someone to stand in and advocate for me, which was very hard for me to allow others in, especially during that time, trying to be open to that support, having to self-advocate. And yeah, it's, it's, it's so tough though, man. I mean, we need a solution because if you're in a really bad place and someone's like on the ledge and they're like, I, you know, I'm going to do it and you can't get in a place. It's just frightening. I mean, then, then you, you do have to ha- have to you know, take the authorities in hand and have them Baker acted and do the 72 hour thing and just yeah. not be able to go into your place of choice. And, uh, you know, that's just, if it comes down to that, because I mean, there's a point where you're so, you know, you're, you're so bad that, you know, you, you need to save a life. So, uh, so anyway, you, you are in recovery right now and it's almost like when people are like, so are, are you recovered from alcoholism. And I do like to say I'm, I'm a recovered alcoholic. Yes. However, I can never take a drink again. Where do you stand now with your trauma and your past? Cause I want to get to the fun stuff. I want to talk about your new album, your music and how you sound like jewel and that you didn't even know jewel. I had to tell you that <laughs> I love that story. I'm going to tell it in a minute, but as far as your trauma goes, where are you at? You know, like many others, it's really dealing with the symptoms of the actual trauma disorder and the dissociative disorder and the other kind of things that have all stemmed from the same place, like my eating disorder. I didn't even cover that. Oh my God. We could go on forever on the eating disorder. Yeah. You know, and so for, for me, I think it's a lot of, now I know what I'm struggling with. I know a lot of information about it. I know it from firsthand experience and from uh, academia experience, although I have a lot more to learn for sure. Um, And so now it's a lot of kind of navigating, you know, what do you do with that? How do you take it from paper to practice? You know, just as an example, this is a, this time of the year is the anniversary of my mom's passing. You know, that was one, one of the major events that led to the onset of the disorder versus just, like I said before, just kind of, I guess, living in a state where I knew that like what I grew up with was like not right, but I wasn't like debilitated by it. I just was. And then you realize like, no, I maybe like wasn't okay. Cause like I've always had these issues where I don't eat for long periods of time or, you know, losing a drastic amount of weight in a short period of time isn't normal. People still sleep when they're upset. You know, they don't struggle to sleep for weeks at a time. And so I think now it's learning how to actually cope with those things, like communicating with my doctors and being honest and, uh, being vulnerable with friends and being able to say, Hey, like, I don't think I could be alone today. I'm having a lot of flashbacks and I am worried about, you know, whatever. And I think that it's so difficult and it kind of feels like sometimes there's always something new, but at the same time, I know that, uh, identity development is fluid as well as our lives as individuals in general. And so there's a lot of room for recovery and room to get better. And I just got to keep kind of you know, a year ago, I literally couldn't go through anniversary dates without being in a hospital. The fact that I'm struggling sucks. It's horrible. Yeah. But I'm outpatient. And, you know, that for me is recovery. Yeah. And uh, it's one day at a time, just like with the alcoholism and the eating disorders, a bitch too. Eating disorders are just, just hell because you have to eat. <laughs> it's a problem. Just one day at a time. I am thrilled. You're so young and just so knowledgeable and working your shit and making it happen and getting the message out there, helping others and involved in nonprofits. It's just, it's, it's so amazing. I love seeing young people doing things like this, you know, and, and helping themselves and making themselves better. And not only that, you are an incredible talent. 
And Arizona Lindsay has a new album. Is it is the album officially? It's out, right? Yes, ma'am. It's called The Process. Oh my God, you called me ma'am. Oh my God. <laughs> Listen, we talked on the phone like a week ago. You know that that's like not me. Like, oh my God. But anyway, the, the album's called The Process. And when I was listening to it, I was like, oh my God. So it says like, she's kind of like a pop country vibe. So I was totally going to, I was picturing country music and I'm listening to this record and I'm like, shit, man, this chick reminds me of Jewel when Jewel first came out because I was like just coming up in radio when Jewel was coming out. And I remembered Jewel was trying to make it on the radio and she was going to radio stations and pushing her record and nobody would play her. And she was ri- literally living in her car with B.O. Seriously, I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding you. And, and I knew her. Nobody, nobody cared about her records and look at her now. And when I was listening to you, you reminded me of a young Jewel, which is an amazing compliment because Jewel is an extreme talent. Obviously, she's done a lot with her singing and her songwriting and her guitar playing. So do you want to try playing a little something off the process? What are you thinking? I like I like the real you or anything. I, I want you to choose whatever you're most comfortable with, whatever you like the best, whatever you feel is 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 most fitting. Do it up, girl. Whatever you like playing the best with your guitar. You got it. You know, I can't wait till like you're like totally blown up all over and you're huge. And I could be like, I was the first one. One of the first ones to interview her. That's going to be a great feeling because it's going to happen for you, Arizona. You're very talented. You're awesome. This girl is so cute. Oh my God. It's a shame. Sometimes it's a shame that this is a podcast because you guys don't get to see like how cute I am. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you don't get to see Arizona. Arizona Lindsay, adorable girl. Don't be fooled, folks. I know you can't see me, but I'm really not that cute. And I'm also not that young. Actually, Wednesday is my birthday and I'm I'm turning like a quarter life crisis. So, uh-huh. you know. 25? Don't- quarter of a century? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 25 was that. That was I was. So as far as my addiction goes, because this is sober exposure, I was still a full blown addict at 25 and already had been in many rehabs and a total fuck up, but it wasn't to the point where it was really dark, like in the streets dark. So, and I was at the top of my career. 25 was like the best year of my life. Enjoy girl. 25 is great because you're young enough to be young, but old enough to know better. Hold on to 25 as long as you can. Changes come around real soon. Make you women and men. All right. Who knows that? Jack and Diane, John Cougar, but he says, we have Arizona Lindsay, ladies and gentlemen. So this is um, part of the song, uh, The Sinking Ship. And um, if you'd like to listen to the whole thing, the song is about um, struggling with severe suicide ideation um, and the desire to basically um, end your life and moving into a place of uh, recovery. And this is just a kind of small part of it. Selfish, angry with me, sad or disappointed, and some might even say they feel devastated. But remember these feelings and thoughts, they're not facts, they stages of grief, they come and they pass. And 
that feeling of drowning It really hurts, I'm not saying it won't But that sinking ship, you're on it Still sailing to land And they're waiting for you there With welcoming hands And devastated Doesn't describe what they'd feel If you didn't show so what if one person or five people more were the reason you were hurting or you were hurting for? There's no such thing as showing love by hurting yourself even more. And I know that you're calling this a sinking ship because the waves are crashing down quicker than you can breathe in. I give the storm another chance to settle before you give in And I'm not gonna lie to you, just getting better's not a thing It's more of a process, but something so worth feeling I hear you, I see you, and you're capable of standing where you're sinking Oh my god that that was so real <laughs> i'm dying i have the chills right now arizona that was so good that's arizona Lindsay off her new album the process and i'm like listen i've heard a lot of people performing and i've done this my whole life that was really good you're gonna go places girl that sounded great <laughs> how, how old were you when you picked up first of all you're so lucky that you have that outlet you know, music. Yeah. Not, yeah I, I know I've been talking about my son a lot because you have a lot in common with him because he's trauma, depression, and he's a guitar player. You guys should get together. You, you, you could probably help him. But how old were you when you picked up a guitar? And do you find that it is an outlet to help you? My, my actual original uh, instrument was drums. So I've been writing music since like second grade. I had a band called The Rock and Raisins, but we didn't really work out because, you know, we were like seven. Um, <laughs> I actually quit because no one took it seriously enough. They're like, nah, you know, we got to wait till you're 10 till we sign you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I picked up guitar when I was in about sixth grade. So I must have been, I don't know, like 12 or 13. And as far as an outlet, yeah, like my provider, my, tra my trauma therapist, the previous trauma therapist, he has told me all the time that I'm very fortunate to have a creative outlet. I'm very thankful for that. It's one of the gratitudes I write down at the end of the day, almost every day. It's definitely, you know, one of the things about struggling with a dissociative disorder that I don't talk as much about publicly as much as it does affect me because it's still kind of new in terms of, I guess, recognizing certain things that, again, aren't like you, you think that they're normal because they happen all the time to you. This like inability to talk for long periods of time because there's too many thoughts going through my brain. And so it's kind of funny. You know, I'm, I'm already kind of an introvert, but then there will be like this really big like li line of silence where like sometimes I have to write something down to be able to tell somebody something. It's usually in, in terms of like dealing with conflict or things like that. Music is one of the only ways that I've been able to co consistently express myself. And I'm very thankful for that because I don't know where I'd be without it, which sounds really cheesy. But I mean, it's true. Even the first song on the album, The Desired Way, is about the tragedy of losing my mom, which was kind of the thing that I guess triggered my brain the most. And that was the first time anyone knew that I was really upset about it. Cause I just had this like flat affect 
I had these panic attacks, but nobody else really like knew how bad it really was until that. And writing music's an outlet. That's you. You were just born with that, and that's something that is so admirable. Like I admire that so bad. I always try. I tried to write music forever. I, I write poetry, and it's just terrible. It's so bad. You know, it's just so amazing that you can take things from your life and make such beautiful art with it. It's it's just really, really, really compelling. Wow. I want you to come back and just like ugh, jam some more. Who's who have you played with anybody like who if you could play with anybody, if I could say, all right, I'm going to hook this up and you can get up on stage with anyone. Who would it be? Taylor Swift. Taylor. OK, oh, that's great. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Singer, songwriter, young. Yeah. And she's, yeah, country roots. What kind of music were you listening to growing up? I'm influenced a lot by, um, (laughs) when I say everything, I mean everything. I listen to old school rap, hip hop, all the way to kind of new age pop. I write pop punk music for for fun. I mean, like I, I literally am kind of into everything, but the artists that I really grew up gravitating towards ranged from, um, I mean, definitely Taylor Swift, Demi Lovato, uh, Alanis Morissette, Sheryl Crow, Faith Hill, <gasps> Brad Paisley. Those were like, and Sarah McLaughlin, of course. Um, yeah, Sarah. Those were my idols growing up. It makes sense. I hear all those influences in you. I do. I mean, it's it's weird that you didn't say Jewel because if you know the if you know Alanis, that Jewel was the same era. I mean, you know, once when I was, I mean, I learned who she was probably what, like at 15, but like I had already known the songs by her. I think it was more of like a face to name thing because people yeah. be like, you sound like Jewel. And I think my, I have this really big uh, teenage ego state that's just like, when people tell me something, I need to do the opposite. And so if someone, when I was a kid, you know, they'd be like, oh, you, you sound like so-and-so. I was like, no, I'm me. Like, <laughs> so when I learned who she was, I was like, yeah, I do kind of sound like her. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. That's not a bad thing. Believe me, not a bad thing to say. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind if I was, you know, walking around and people were telling me I look like Angelina Jolie, you know? So I adore Jewel. <laughs> I am asked to do covers by her all the time at live shows. And, uh, like I said, once I learned who she was, like put the music to face, I, uh, I kind of quickly started covering her, but I definitely am I take any, anytime someone says you sound like anybody, I take that as a compliment because the fact that they even thought of you next to anybody who's already bigger in the industry than you are, that's something to be humbled by. Yeah. You know? And she came from the ground. She, she was grassroots. I'm telling you, I, I, I'm, I'm not kidding when I, when I tell you that, I mean, when I knew Jewel and interviewed her back in the day, she couldn't even take a shower. It was that bad. So <laughs> She was really a struggling musician back then. She was. So it's amazing. So you are amazing, Arizona. And everybody, you can download Arizona's new music, The Process, Arizona Lindsay. And uh, thanks for coming on the show. We're just raising awareness. What would you say? What, what are your last words here on Sober Exposure to anybody that feels like they might be struggling or has somebody in their life that's struggling and wants to help somebody? What would you tell them? I would say two things. The first is weather the storm and know that just like the negative thought about things not lasting or whatever it is, neither does the negative though. And so just weather the storm because storms pass. The other thing I'd say is um, my favorite affirmation that my amazing trauma therapist in uh, New Orleans had always said, 
I deserve to stand in the present, reflect back to my past and look forward to the future and just know that you have a future just as much as you have a past, if not more. That's not, you know what? I like that because everything is always in AA and everything, the present moment, the present moment, which is important. You do have to stay in the present moment, but then I'm always thinking, but I need something to look forward to. So I, I like that one. That's really great. Arizona Lindsay, thank you so much. This is Sober Exposure. I'm Jennifer Wild, and everybody have a great week, day, afternoon, night, whatever it is. Just have a great one. Need more? Of course you do. The show's all about needing more. Go to my website at soberexposure.show or get stuck on my Instagram at soberexposure underscore podcast. 